Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning. So good to be with each and every one of you, those that have gathered in this place, those that are gathering online. We want to welcome you as well. Well, uh, in just a moment, we're going to read about the love that God hates, the love that God hates. But before we read that, I just want to remind you what we looked at last week when we looked at 1 John chapter 2. We started looking at this fact that John was talking about there's different levels, different kind of uh, grades of, of moving through spiritual maturity. He talked about children, he talked about young men, and he talked about fathers. And today what we're going to do as we turn to 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see some of the greatest danger to spiritual maturity. Again, we're going to look at, briefly here, the love that God hates. First John chapter 2, and let's start with verse 15. It said there, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let me stop there for a second, and let me say something very provocative, and that is this. God hates the world. I know at first it may seem like, well, wait a minute, I'm going to be sending the pastor an email or I'm going to be calling him. Just hang on a moment as I talk about all of this. Remember, we just read, uh, don't love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. So if you love the world and the love of the Father's not in you, then how could the Father love the world and truly be the Father? God hates the world. Again, hang with me because I need to explain some things. I'm not talking about hating the created creation, the earth, the world, the cosmos that he has made. Remember, God made this earth, and when he made it, he said, well, it's good. We marred it by our sin, but it still has this, this goodness about it where it points us to the glory of who God is, and we begin to understand more fully who he is. So we're not talking about hating the world in the sense of like, well, I really hate that sunrise we saw this morning or that sunset. No, you can go ahead and you can love the ocean. Thank you, Florida, spring break. You, you can love the mountains, right? We can enjoy all of the created things that God has made. In fact, we're told to take care of it. Keep on recycling, do, do your deal. Let's be good stewards of this beautiful earth that God has given to us. I'm not talking about the world in that sense. We're also not talking about the world in the sense of the people in the world because we remember John three sixteen. You memorized this in Sunday school, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And in fact, in John chapter two, verse two, we already read that Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. And John says, not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. So he's not talking about people here. So it's not the, the earth and it's not people who are on this earth. So what is the world? The world is a system. The, the world is that system that stands opposed to who God is. It's everything that is outside of the kingdom of God. And there is a world system that is opposed to who God is. And who God is, is truly perfect and righteous and holy. Everything good is in him. And so God loves perfectly and he hates perfectly. Like if he truly has something that he loves, it would stand to reason there are things that he hates at what might approach to ruin the things that he loves. 
And so there are things that God stands against and he hates. In fact, we've been called to hate certain things. Again, I know this is messing with our our cultural relativistic ears, but it says this in Psalm 97.10, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Evil is that world system that keeps pulling at our hearts. It keeps standing antithetical to who God is. And we are to hate that. We are to run away from it. There are things that God hates. God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2. God hates hypocrisy. God hates lying lips. He, He hates false religion. There are things that God hates, and it just stands to reason. If he is truly a God of love who loves everything that is true and righteous and holy, anything that begins to attack that is something that he hates. He does not want it. There is a world system after your heart. There is a world system that stands outside of the kingdom of God and his righteousness that would seek to pull us down. Let's read on. John says, for all that is in the world, this world system, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the father. It's from the world. And I read this, the desires of the flesh, the the pride of life, this this problem with our eyes. I think about what it says in Proverbs chapter six. If you remember in Proverbs six, it talks about God hating. It says there, there are six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him. That's the Hebrew way of just like, we're gonna, we're gonna up this and make sure that you are well aware that these are things that are distasteful to God and God hates. What does he hate? Well, it says in Proverbs six, he hates haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. And wouldn't we all say we hate that? Don't we all know the sting of what it's like when somebody goes out and they murder somebody? We've experienced this in Indianapolis just this week where eight people have been murdered and that individual took his own life at the FedEx. We, we understand, like, why sh- we're not gonna love that. We hate it, it hurts our hearts. God hates murder. God hates the heart that devises wickedness. He hates feet that run to evil. He hates a false witness. He, he hates the one who sows discord among his brothers. He hates these troublemakers that are antithetical again to who he is and his goodness and his holiness and all that he loves. It goes on. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides, there's our word, abides forever. And so the truth is, you can love God Or you can love the world, but you cannot love both. You can love God or you can love the world, but you can't love both. You don't get one foot in the kingdom of this world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. You must choose. James chapter 4 verse 4 puts it like this. You adulterous people. Didn't mince words. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is this pull and this desire for our culture to move us in a direction from the truth of God's word, from who Jesus Christ is, and it stands opposed to God. And that thing on the inside of us that would say, look, I just, I just want the world to love me. I, I, I don't want to be looked at as different from this world, and so I'm going to talk the world's language and just be a part of uh, integrating myself within this world system. You can't, you can't do that and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you love what God hates? Do you love this world? 
I think at this point, we, we have to deal with some reality. And the reality is we are in this world, but we're not of this world as Christians. But while being in this world, I would have to say there are things in this world that pull at my heart. There are things that kind of woo me in its direction. Like it's always there. It's always pulling at me to move me away from this love that God wants to have solely to himself. And you would think that as Christians, it would be a lot easier for us to love God. I mean, think about how many times in the Bible we're encouraged to love him. Think about, think about how loving he is. Think about his majesty and his glory and his mercy and his justice and the love that he pours out into our hearts. Think about all of the good things that God has done for us. And yet we've got to constantly be warned and reminded, hey, don't leave your first love. Make sure that your love for God is, is white hot that you're not loving this world, that you're moving away from the things of this world and a world system that would woo you away from your father. We just have to admit, man, my heart can drift. My heart can move away from God. And I think all of us in this room, if we're honest, many of us, we would say, I wanna love God more. I really do. I wish that it was a deeper, stronger love. But the truth is I can only increase my love for God by eliminating those things that compete for my affection. You, you can think of it like this. Think of it like uh, um, your microwave. So in your microwave at home, when, when you got a plate of food and you put a whole bunch of food on that plate, if it's all piled up, it's going to take longer to heat up that plate of food. It's going to take more power to reach each item. Less and less power ends up heating up those items. And so the problem is with our heart, our heart can only be devoted to so much. Your love for God ends up getting diluted by your love for the world. And so we, we wrongly think, well, it's so hard to love God. It's not hard to love God. I just have too many gods on my plate. I just have too much stuff in my heart from this world. Loving God's not that difficult. It is the things of this world and the world system that pulls us and begins to remove our affection for our heavenly father. Like if I'm really serious about loving Jesus and loving God, it is not enough to love God more. I have to love this world less. Less of this world, less of that pull on my heart. I mean, think, think about how much energy we put into as a, as a church trying to get people to be wholehearted. Like, we want you to love God. And so, so we come in and we're always talking, hey, let's do your God time, right? Read your Bible more, pray more, come to worship, make sure you're coming consistently to worship. We'll say, hey, get, get, do some group time, get together with one another and be face-to-face -face and sharpen one another. Then we end up saying, hey, make sure that you're serving somewhere in the church. And oh yeah, be sure to go on a, a mission trip. And then last Sunday, the pastor comes up, he adds another thing and he says, hey, we gotta be discipling people. Like we're gonna take Jesus seriously, like go make disciples and you keep piling stuff on. Think about all of this stuff that we keep encouraging you to do. Now, somewhere along the way, we've gotta ask ourselves, why isn't this working better than it is? Why is there so much effort and energy and so little changed character in churches? I'm gonna give you my opinion. My opinion is this. We try to get people to love God more without compelling them to love the world less. To step away from this world. Yes, let's fall more in love with God. But the way that we get there is by removing some of these things that have a hold of our heart and are pulling us away from our heavenly father. 
So do you love what God hates? If you love the world, you have all the things of this world kind of in your heart, it is crowding out the love that God longs to have solely in your heart. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And again, we're talking about the world system, everything that would pull you away from the truth of God's word and who he is and what he wants to do in your life. I think if we would just kind of live out Hebrews 12 too, let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Reminds me of a hymn that we used to sing that I loved growing up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the question is, do you love the things that God hates? Now John's going to go on. And John is going to talk about how dangerous it is to love this world. And how there are people and systems in this world that are lurking to pull your love away from God. And it's always there. This is what we read, picking up in verse 18. Term of endearment, he says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come, therefore we know that it's the last hour. And then I read that and I think, well, if it was the last hour then, we're in the final seconds. It is a final countdown before Christ returns. That word antichrist, by the way, the the Greek word has two different words as it related to the word anti. Anti can mean against, and then anti can also mean to replace. He goes on, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide, there's our word, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides or remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So in this passage, uh, he talks and has this term, anti-Christ. And he's using it, identifying people who appear to have been the community of, of believers, part of them. But he says, they went out from us. And it just proved the fact they were never of us. They had not been redeemed. They had not been justified by God. They are opposed to him. And the things that they're teaching, the things that they're saying, again, we kind of think about uh, the types of things that were going on and were being said. The, these are the pre-Gnostics at this point, And they're saying, we have special knowledge and you don't really need Christ and you can go this way and they are opposed to Christ. So let's talk a little bit here about false teaching and the Antichrist. Now I realize that when I bring up the Antichrist, uh, some folks will be like, hey, can you just give us a name? Who is the Antichrist and when's he going to show up? Uh, We're not going to go there because we're going to take a look at this particular passage where John is saying that spirit's here. It was there then and it's here now. 
There are those who are anti-Christ. There are people who would try to persuade us away from Jesus Christ all over the place. There, there is, he says, a very definite them camp, and there is an us camp. Those who are outside the kingdom of heaven, those who are outside of the body of Christ, and there are those who are inside the body of Christ. And each one has particular characteristics about them. So what's the characteristic of those who've, who've left, who are anti-Christ? Well, first of all, he says, they left us. These are the people who have left behind biblical truth. These are people who have left behind the witness of the apostles at the time. These are people who have left orthodoxy. They've left the faith. And then he says, there, there are those, though, who have remained. And in verse 20, he said, uh, they are anointed by the Holy One. There are those who are in the body of Christ, and they have the Spirit of God in them. So I, I thought what I would do is, I just want to give you some examples of anti-Christ, okay? Here we go. And the first ones that I'm going to read, like the first quotes, I, I'm not going to give you who it is first. I want you to guess who it is that I'm talking about. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you know God's word, uh, the things I'm about to read to you should be like, that's wrong. That Something's wrong with that. Something's not square as I hear that. So let me read this first one to you. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. So God is an exalted man. Who said that? Joseph Smith, the Mormon church. Here's another one. Gods exist, and we better strive to be prepared to be one with them. Brigham Young. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. You can become God. Lorenzo Snow, former president of the Mormon church. You guys, uh, some who are older in the room may remember a, a dude by the name of David Koresh back in the 90s. Uh, David Koresh said, if the Bible is true, then I'm the Christ. Uh, this next quote came from Time Magazine, May 3rd, 1993. And uh, just you know, to be fair here, I believe that David is actually talking on behalf of God. He's not saying this about himself, but there's something that I want you to see. Uh, so in Time Magazine, he writes, I offer you my sealed secrets. How dare you turn away my invitations of mercy. Who are you fighting against? The law is mine. The truth is mine. I'm your God and you'll bow, um, bow under my feet. I'm your life and your death. Again, he's talking on behalf of God. My hand made heaven and earth. Please listen and show mercy and learn of the marriage of the lamb. Why will you be lost? All right. The problem I have is he signed it Yahweh Koresh. That's the name of God. Moses says, who, who should I tell sent me to you? And God said, I am who I am. Yahweh. God Koresh. What, what is it that would make people just be easily duped, suckered in by this kind of stuff? Well, again, it's, it's they don't have the spirit of God. They've never become a follower of Jesus Christ and received his spirit so that the spirit would help them discern, discern between this truth and this error. They, they also don't know God's word. They probably own a Bible they don't read it. Like they don't study it. If you have a Bible and you don't study it, you're susceptible to false teaching. Let me give you another one. Uh, Jim Jones, fellow Hoosier. Grew up in Lynn, worked over in Richmond, Reed Hospital, started the People's Temple 
here in Indianapolis. Great big gathering, moved it later to California. Then he took a whole bunch of people to Jonestown where he murdered 918 of them. Over 300 of them children. Studied Marx, he studied Stalin, studied Hitler. Jim Jones said, when I was Moses, you were with me in the wilderness and I led you out of slavery and death into the promised land. When I was Buddha, you were my followers and I taught you to meditate on me. When I was Muhammad, you sought after my teachings and served me with all of your heart and being. When I was Jesus Christ, you were my disciples. That's pretty obvious, right? Those are obvious false teachings. I think the problem is not the obvious false teachings. I think the problem is the half-truths. I think the problem is when we have people who start taking the word of God, the truth of God's word, and begin to distort it and twist it into what they want it to be for their own gain, for their own life. That is, I think, the most damaging kind of false teaching, anti-Christ heresy that exists and is still around. And so once again, let me just remind you, do not judge what I or any other teacher or preacher says by how convincing it sounds. Do not do that. You judge what I say by how Christ-like and scriptural it proves to be. Judge it by whether or not the spirit and the word bear testimony to it. Because if I ever tell you something that is contrary to the Bible, I'm wrong. The Bible is right. My opinion is not the final authority. Your opinion is not the final authority. God's word is the final authority. Don't don't judge it by how charismatic or how much movement or how much some dude moves his arms. That's that's what that's what Hitler was studying. Like he, he would study like how should I sound? What should I do? What should my movements be? And he led thousands of people to destruction. Interestingly, this, this week, I, I got on YouTube and I heard some actual recordings of Hitler's normal voice. Like, I never heard that before. All I'd ever heard was his speeches. He had like 500 speeches and he never heard his normal voice. But he would work and work on what it should sound like, his mannerisms and what he should do. Never judge what somebody says by how convincing it may be. You judge it by the spirit of God and does it match up to the word of God. And then after you hear how a teacher talks, Watch how they walk. Because false teachers know how to talk. They don't know how to walk. Eventually, the way they walk will prove themselves out if given enough time. They cannot walk it out because they don't have the spirit of Christ and they're living a lie. So after you hear how somebody speaks, after you've heard what comes out of their mouth, watch their life. Compare it with scripture. Compare their words with the word of God. I think some of the most deceptive ones that we have in our own culture right now are people who would say that man is supreme, that, that everything kind of revolves around you. You can do it. You've got the power. Yeah, you, you just think these positive thoughts, you do these positive things, and you're going to get more money. You will be blessed by God. Everything's going to go well in your life. They're the ones who make man central and say, man, God should just be blessed to his core that you were willing to show up. Because you are so awesome, right? You can do it. You're the best. Everything's revolving around you. I would say run from those teachers. Anybody who never gets to the place of talking about repentance and holiness, that's a problem. 
Because this is how we come to know Jesus Christ. It is not about us. It's not central to us. It is central on the God of this universe. What these individuals are trying to do is set themselves up with a platform. And it's real easy to get a whole bunch of people to hear good things about themselves. And you can do it. Here's your pep talk. And yet they're not walking with the Lord. And they're not teaching the truth of God's word. People come along all the time. Not just teachers and preachers, but people, prophets. They'll call themselves prophets and they come along and they'll say, I have a word from the Lord for you. They'll come along and they'll say, God told me to tell you. God says this. They'll speak on his behalf. This has been going on for quite some time. You go back to the Old Testament and, and God tried to let people know that this was a serious thing in Deuteronomy chapter 13. He says there, if, if somebody who has a, a prophecy or even somebody who works wonders and the prophecy comes true and they did a miracle and then they say, hey, let's follow other gods. The Bible says don't believe them. Even though they did a miracle, even though they did something that was good or, or something came to pass, it says there, God's testing you to see whether or not you are truly going to follow him and his word. In fact, in verse 5, it goes on, that prophet, that dreamer says, let's go after God, other gods. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Go ahead and take that false prophet and kill them in the Old Testament. Now clearly, that would serve as an incentive to keep your yapper shut, I would think. Like, no, I'm not gonna stand and speak on behalf of God when he didn't say that. So I would say for anybody uh, who would come along and say, God told me to tell you, here's a word from the Lord. If that's gonna happen in your life, I would say you best make sure. Because you're standing in the place of God, you are claiming to be his mouthpiece in that moment. And if God did not say to you, that's a whole lot of judgment I would not be wanting to stand in. So many times in my own life, what I'll try to do if I feel like God has said something, I'm not going to come up and I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to say, I, I think God said, or I feel that God might said uh, earlier in this message, I told you, here's my opinion, right? Those are important things to have going on in our lives. Because if you're standing up and, and you're going to come up and you're going to say, thus saith the Lord, and God never told you, you've taken the Lord's name in vain. When you, when you come and you stand and you are going to use God as your leverage and the person that you're going to get some power from and he didn't really talk to you in that way, you are taking his name and you have made it vain. It's a very dangerous place to be in. Here's another sign of false teachers, false prophets. Many times they will deny the humanity of Jesus, that he's fully man. They may deny that he is fully God, that he is deity, 100% God and 100% man. They may deny that Jesus rose from the dead or that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies or they may say, look, he's not sufficient for salvation. The way you're gonna get salvation is by adding on these other things. But the scriptures clearly tell us that God became a man, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross in our place. He was the propitiation. He's the appeasement. He took on all of the wrath of sin that was due for you and me. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and he's coming back. Now, anybody who comes along and says, no, no, I know better. You don't need to believe those things. Anybody 
can get to heaven. You don't need Jesus. Just be good. Or just follow this. Just believe that. Just do this. That is a false teacher. That is heresy. And they are anti-Christ. They stand against Christ. And we have a whole world system that is bent on doing that. Of not honoring, loving, worshiping Jesus Christ. And there are false teachers. And so John rounds it out in verse 27. He says this. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as has taught you, abide, remain in him. And now little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So because God lives in us, in the person of his Holy Spirit, you have no other need of another human being to come along to tell you and so that you will know the truth. You don't need another person to come along so that you can follow the Lord, so you can hear his voice or be reassured of your salvation. We should be very, very concerned if we find ourselves completely dependent on another person, another individual, whether that is a leader in this church or myself or some other pastor or some author or some TV personality or internet pastor. Don't get me wrong. Teachers have value. God calls people to teach. He calls them to pastor Teaching is fine. There, there are teachers who put difficult words into concepts. There's teachers that come along that can present difficult information in, in thoughtful, logical ways. They can even serve as an example. But transforming truth is ultimately the work of God. It is not the work of a person. It is the work of God. We have God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to be able to help us to discern truth from error. And he will help us. And so the the challenge as we've read these passages today is this. Do you love what God hates? Do you love this world and the system of this world that is all about, they've got their own language, they know how to listen to one another and, and what's current in the culture. Do you love the world, the things of the world? Do you have too many gods on your plate or do you love your heavenly father? If you love the world system, the love of the Father is not in you. And so I would encourage you, if you want to grow in your love, maybe this week, you you change that prayer a little bit. And instead of, God, help me to love you more, God, help me to love this world less. Help me to love the, the world system and the things of this world less and less every single day. Give me an affection for you. And so maybe even today, in this moment, as I've been talking, there may be room in your heart and mind right now for repentance to happen. Maybe there are some things in your life that you would say, I think that's been crowding out my love for my father, and I've been thinking it was hard to love God, but actually I've just been simply loving this world more than him. Then the next question is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to help you discern truth from error? The way that you receive that spirit, 
is by making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, moving in this direction, understanding the truth of who he is, realizing that he is God, that you are a sinner, you needed a Savior, he came on your behalf, he died in, on the cross in your place, was buried, he rose again to give you life. And when you yield, when you repent, you confess your sin, you come to him, he enters into your life, you receive the spirit of God. And that spirit will help you discern truth from error as you begin to look at God's word and use it as the standard, the plumb line, as you start to listen to all of the teaching that comes at you from the world. I would encourage some of you, if, if you're interested in maybe extra credit this week, uh, there's a, a passage of scripture in the book of Psalms that, that marries up really well with what we've been reading today. And it would be uh, Psalm 119. Just a real short chapter uh, in the book of Psalms. Just, I love throwing out little tests. I, I never know where people are at in, in Bible study. It's a long chapter. But over and over, it's just talking about, God, I love your precepts. I love your word. Help, help me to be all about that and not about this world. So I would encourage you, open up Psalm 119 if you'd like a little more study in this regard. Let, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we've, we've opened up the word. And I know I, I, I can't do it justice. But it's your spirit, really, that we long to hear from. And so, Lord, things that are, are true, things that are, are honest, those things that we need to hold on to, Lord, help us to be rooted in that. Anything that I say in here that doesn't, doesn't match up with your word, let that just be burned up with fire. That can go away. But your word, Father, as it lands on our hearts, help us to grow. Lord, we want to love you as a body of Christ. We want to love you as individuals. May the things of this earth just get more dim every day as our hearts are moved in your direction. We love you, Father. Lead us and guide us as we leave this place this week and carry the light and the love of Jesus Christ to this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Lord bless you all. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.